Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Are you all ready for a big word today? Can you stand with me one more time? And I'm going to read this passage of Scripture and then I'll give you my title. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It's a little story. It's so beautiful. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Isn't that a great little story? Hallelujah. I want to share a word with you today. It's simply, I'm simply entitling Finding Beauty in the Battle. Finding Beauty in the Battle. And I'm not talking about that cute little girl standing next to you there. Uh, about the beauty in the battle. Beauty in the battle. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to stand with your precious people here, Lord. God, I ask you to speak through me today. Lord, make this an encounter with you, God. I pray that your word would be like a sword, God, coming out of my spirit, my mouth, Lord, into the hearts of the people. Father, I pray, God, that you, who only, only you who know the hearts and the minds of the people and what they're going through, God, I pray that you would reach them in the deepest level of their being, Lord God, and do surgery in hearts today, that you may release a new faith and a new joy and a new peace in people's lives today. I pray, God, that long-term struggles will stop right now today with this message, Lord God, and that you will set them free. We thank you, and I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. 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 Before you see it, turn the person next to you and look at him and say, you are absolutely gorgeous. Tell them that. All right. Let me take this story and set the stage for you by building it in a contemporary context. All these people were rushing. For them, it was the hour of prayer, but they were going to church. So there's all these hundreds of people, men and women, young and old, that were rushing into the church. They were excited. It was Sunday morning. They were coming to Victory Church. That was the name of the church. And as they were rushing into church, they were fellowshipping, they were connecting with one another uh, for the first time in, in a few days, and they uh, were all so excited. They come in to the house of God, and, and the worship begins, and the worship is explosive, and here are all these people with their hands raised, and the presence of God fills the house. The, the, at, the atmosphere is filled with faith and hope 
and love. You know, and then that day they had a special guest speaker and, and from America, and boy, he was really great. And, and, and you know, and so, you know, he, there, this word was, came forth powerfully. So there was all of this excitement and celebration and this great spirit of faith. And it hit me one day when I was reading this that right in the midst of all this, in the midst of the congregation, here was a man who was suffering a long-term battle who was, who was sitting there, a man who had resigned himself to a life of barely existing. And then all of a sudden, it began, my mind began to go to our church, you know, the church I've pastored for many years. And, and I think one of the things that has troubled me down through the years as a pastor who's pastored so many years is to see people right in the midst of our congregation with all the spirit of faith that there is and celebration and hope and to watch people struggle for long periods with, with so many different things. You know, I've watched people who love God with all of their heart. And, and they pray, they read the word. But I've watched them struggle in their marriage. Everything else, maybe they're excelling at. Man, they got a great prayer life and all that. But yet, with the, with, between the husband and wife, just, there's always been this strain, this struggle, a dysfunctional marriage. And people struggle. I've watched them struggle with that. And what bothers me is all my great sermons didn't help. The great worship services didn't solve their problem. The great program ministries of the church did not help them. I've watched people struggle with issues with their kids. Just listen to me. Maybe the other, all the other areas are fine, but they're struggling with this issue that's, that's breaking their heart, that right in the midst of the congregation with all the celebration that they're struggling. It's not been for a week, but it's been for a year or three years or five years. I've watched people struggle in the midst of the congregation financially. You hear the provision of God preached, which we believe in so strongly, but yet we, you see people struggle never tapping in to a place of abundance where they can get out of that place of merely existing. I've, now watch this. Listen, I've especially watched people in the midst of our congregation struggle in, in the areas of uh, mental and emotional areas. I've watched people who have, man, they have great faith in many areas. They, maybe they're great prayer warriors. They're strong in the word, but yet I've watched them struggle with long-term fears or long-term insecurities. I've watched people struggle with long-term unforgiveness. Never able to let, I watch people never able to let go of things of the past. I think that's one of the biggest things that's bothered me is, is watching people in the midst of our congregation who, who love God, who are good people, but who've struggled with long, never being able to let go of what happened to them in the past. And so they are always stuck circling the same mountain. Now, some of you may be surprised by my introduction to my message today. By spending the time to kind of opening up all of these areas of struggle. But I want to tell you why I do that. It's because we kid ourselves and live in a land of make-believe if we come to the place where we think that just because we have given our life to Christ and we've been forgiven, we've been saved, born again, we're on our way to heaven, that somehow when we come together on Sunday morning, just because we all look so good, that we believe that everything is going great in everybody's life. 
Because let me tell you something, the gospel is not about some kind of platitudes that we preach that just kind of glaze over the surface to make us feel better while we're in the midst of our struggle for another week. But the gospel is a gospel of power. It's a gospel of victory. It's a gospel of freedom. Let me tell you something about Jesus. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus never taught people how to cope with anything. You know, I'll be honest with you, I get sick and tired of hearing messages about and seeing Christian books published about how to cope with fear, cope with stress, cope with unforgiveness, cope with a bad marriage. Let me tell you, Jesus never taught how to cope with anything. He taught how to be delivered and set free. He taught how to break the chains. Come on, y'all. Y'all listen. Oh, I like that. That's good preaching. Thank you, Brother Rick. I'll go on. Yeah. Why is it that we why is it that we don't break out of these struggles? I think I'm going to give you several lessons. One is this. I think it's because we suffer privately. Think of this. This man is there in the midst of all this crowd. Any of you who've dealt with any of these areas I've talked about, some kind of long-term battle, you know what this man was feeling. That whole feeling where that you can be in a large, crowded room, but yet you feel all alone. Anybody who's experienced deep pain knows that what you feel when you feel that deep pain is you feel like everybody else is it's everybody else and then there's me. You begin to feel isolated. Now listen to me carefully when I say this. There's a problem with that because it's not the pain that isolates you. It's what you allow to take over your soul in the midst of the pain that isolates you. You see, there's something very powerful about church that we need to understand. That the church is a body and the church is a family. And whenever we hurt, we need to hurt together. When, when, whenever we're not meant to suffer alone. And I asked myself the question, why is it that we suffer alone? And I, number one, I think it's because that we feel embarrassed. Now think of this. We feel embarrassed. Why do we feel embarrassed? We feel embarrassed because we feel like, you know, my face should produce better than this. You know, I mean, look, I've been a Christian. I love God. I've been praying. And so I should be able to be better than this. Somehow my faith, this idea that somehow my faith should have gotten me beyond this by now. And so what happens is because it hasn't, then we begin to feel like something's wrong with us. Well, let me tell you something. Nothing's wrong with us. We just need to understand that it's part of our human struggle. You with me now? Now, I'm not talking about the battle on the inside. It's one thing to have a battle on the outside coming at you. It's another thing to allow that battle on the outside to get on the inside of you. Are you with me now? And what happens is, is that we begin to think something is wrong with us, and we have to understand that is a strategy of the enemy to marginalize our faith and destroy our sense of hope. That idea that something's wrong with me. Then we begin to feel guilty and we feel condemned. I'm going to tell you this. It's hard, it's, it's hard enough or it's enough to fight a battle that the enemy is putting against you. It's quite another thing to have to fight that inward battle of condemnation, of guilt. Because if, you, if you're filled with guilt and condemnation, you lose the aggressiveness of your faith that you need to run the devil off in your life. 
Neil, so we feel embarrassed. We not only feel embarrassed, I think also secondly, because we're afraid people will think less of us. We think we're afraid, you know, we come on Sunday morning and say, you know, look at everybody else. Don't they look cool? Everybody looks beautiful. Wow, look at that hair. Look at those clothes. Wow, aren't, look at that smile. Aren't they great? And we think that we're the only one that as, is experiencing what we're experiencing. That somebody, somehow everybody else is perfect. So if they know what I'm going through, they will think less of me. Can I tell you something that may be a startling revelation to you? And that is, you ready for this? We're all messed up. I mean, that's a great theological point. We're all stinking messed up. You're messed up. The person next to you is messed up. I'm messed up. The pastor's messed up. The only one that's not messed up is Kath. That's the only one. No, you don't think I'm being cute, but I'm not. These are, listen, these are revelations that's changed my life. When I realized, when I shed that old cloak of condemnation of guilt, realizing all of us, all of us have stuff that we deal with, and that's not an excuse to stay in your stuff or stay in your struggle. What I'm trying to do is break the chains that hold you on the inside so you can have faith to get victory on the outside. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So don't struggle alone. Lesson number two, watch this. Lesson number two comes out of this verse two. It says this, look verse two. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. And you know, it's interesting that one day, I was reading this passage, and this word beautiful just jumped off the page at me. And any of you who know anything about the Bible, you know that nothing, absolutely nothing is wasted. Not a word, not a phrase, not a, not a story or word picture, nothing is wasted. It's all a life lesson for us. And me knowing that, and all of a sudden this word beautiful jumps off the page, and it hit me that here's this man, this ironic scene where this man is struggling with this long-term private battle right in the midst of a place called beautiful. The place was called beautiful because it was the gate beautiful because that gate contained a sculpture of the city of Susa that was made out of very expensive Corinthian bronze. As a matter of fact, it was so expensive, it was the most beautiful and valuable gate of all the gates that led to the temple. And here is this man who was struggling with his private battle in the midst of a place called beautiful. And I all of a sudden heard the lesson clear from the Lord. And that is that God is saying to us, we have a problem whenever we get in a battle and we begin to walk through this thing and then it lasts a while is that something happens where the enemy attempts us to lower our head and begin to just look at one step in front of the other and we just begin to become dutiful and, uh, and everything just becomes mechanical and we forget to lift up our head. We're so consumed with what we're going through that we can't see all that we still have that's beautiful in our life around us. 
And that's not some nice philosophical point. This is scripture. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. What's he saying? If you look up the word cheer, be of good cheer, it means to change the way you're thinking. Lift up your thoughts. So he's saying, sure, when you're going through something, it may be severely tough. But he said, listen to this. Don't let the enemy get you to the point to where that your battle, listen, becomes everything. That your world becomes consumed with what you're going through. It's a temptation that happens where we, where we become so focused on what we're going through that we no longer think there is anything beautiful around our lives. I mean, I've watched people fight little battles. Little meaning, let's say they lost their job. Now, if you lost your job recently, you think, oh, you don't know that's a big battle. Let me tell you something. That's a little one. Compared to some battles, that's a little one. And I've watched people think that my world's falling apart. It's coming to end. There'll never be a future. Let me tell you something. Just because you're going through something doesn't mean the world's coming to an end. You must see the beauty that there is around you. As I get to this season of my life and I... You know, one of the, I got to tell you that one of the things that I have tried for years to protect is this, is this sense that God, what is my statement, Tony? You, you tell it better than I. God is great, life is good, and people are beautiful. There you go. Listen, and that's not some shallow model that I have, but listen to me. Here's why it's important. To keep our heads up and see the beautiful, see the beautiful people around us. See the beautiful things that we do have left in our life. Because if you don't do that, here's what happens. And here's the lesson. You lose a spirit of a child. Now, what I just said to you is no small point. It's enormous. It's foundational. I'll prove it to you. Look at this passage in Mark 10, 15. These are the words of Jesus. He said, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Jesus saying here, he says, the person that does not receive, does not become like a little child, listen, he will not enjoy the fullness of what God has prepared for him in his lifetime in the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus say that you have to be like a little child? You must understand Jesus wasn't just wasting words. He literally meant look at a child and look at the traits of that child. And then all through your life, when you go through hell and you go through all the tough things in your life, look at that child and don't lose what that child has. What is it that that child has? Well, listen, number one, that child has a spirit of innocence. A child is filled with innocence. Think of this. We grow up and we hit a bumps in the road and, and, and we get hit upside the head with some, some big battles. And then what happens? It knocks the innocence out of our life. We become jaded. We become cynical. We lose that sense of optimism that, that you know, that we lose that sense of trusting people. A child is filled with innocence. You know, you could steal his toys. And today, and he'll play with you again tomorrow. We grow up and become adults, and you steal our toys, and we'll never play with you again. What happened? We grew up. 
We grew up. Also, a child is filled, listen to this, a child is filled with a sense of mystery and wonder about everything. Come on, I'm trying to get you to see something here. Do you see how we grow up? And when we grow up and we hit some hard knocks, then what happens? It knocks the stuffings out of us. And we lose that sense of mystery and awe and wonder about life. Look at a child. Jesus is saying, see that. Stay that way. Don't let the tough things of life knock that spirit of mystery and wonder out of your life. You know, I think about a child and how that we all do this the world over. You take a little child, what do you do? You throw them up in the air. And when you do, then you catch them. And when you throw them up in the air and then catch them, what do they do? They go, ah. And what do they say after that? Do it again. And so you do it again. Watch this. And you do the same stupid thing again. And they go, ah. And you catch them. And they say, do it again. Ah. Do it again. Ah, do it again. Ah, do it again. Ah, I think they'll do that all day long until you wear yourself out. And I want to say, you crazy kid, don't you know we've done that 500 times today and you still seem to be filled with mystery and wonder about the same stupid, simple thing that you did 500 times? Are you with me now? It's like he did it for the first time after the 500th time. And I began to see something that Jesus is saying, don't ever lose that. That we grow up and become adults. And then we got this old mentality, this stinking, crusty mentality that's like I've been there and done that and bought the t-shirt and, you know, and, and, and we, about the simplest things in life. Now we've got to buy bigger things and do more things and have more people to be more impressed. We do that with church, you know. When we first come to Christ, Jesus is enough, but now we've got to have more. We've got to have better. It's got to be fancier. Y'all with me now? It's because we lose the sense of mystery and wonder about the simplest things. I love all the big band and worship. I love that. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? I can have just as much a blast. I tell you, if Tony was up here leading worship, by himself with no music. I would just be swaying back and forth. You don't understand what I mean? I'm serious. Because if you, if you come, come as a little child, you're always, always have a sense of, ah, a sense of wonder and mystery about the most mundane things. Maybe you've come to church for the 1,000th time on Sunday morning. But if you're like a child, it's like the first time you ever came. Hey! When you lose that spirit of a child, then you belong to a church for five years or ten years, and you come in and kind of just like, oh, yeah, just barely got here, and now everything's wrong with the church. Used to think everything was right. Now you become what I call spiritual wine tasters. You, yeah, that's not quite right. Yeah, that's not right. The worship. Yeah, pastor, he was a little off. You become spiritual wine testers. Are you with me now? You become connoisseurs. Let me tell you, I was saved when I was, I was saved when I was 11 years old. Now here we are, 50 years later. Listen. Listen, and I'm just as giddy 
about Jesus as I was 50 years ago. You with me? Hey! It's like, it's like the kid. I can say, God, throw me up again. Ah! Doesn't make any difference. I always tell people, I say, you know, I'm very serious about this. I've been studying the Bible diligently. Diligently, most of the time, hours a day for 40 years. Yeah, I know a lot of things. But the more I know, the more I am impressed with this little song that says, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. If you ever get tired of the simplest things about Jesus and the blood and the cross and the resurrection, the simplest things about forgiveness and grace, then you've lost that spirit of a child. I'll say this with work, you know, going to work. You know that maybe you've had the job now 10 years and you walk in and you have a sense of entitlement, like something's owed to you. You know, oh yeah, now you got all these problems at work and you now don't appreciate your job. I want to tell you something. You've lost your spirit of a child. You need to walk in that place tomorrow in that place of work like it's the first day you ever came to work and say, wow, do it again. Huh? Hey, come on. You know, one more thing about being like a child. You know, it doesn't take much to impress me. And I'm serious about that. I don't need a bunch of people around me. I don't need, I don't need to be preaching to a bunch of people, large church like I am today. When I'm with God alone, just me and creation, it's some of the most wonderful times of my life. When I get alone with Jesus and I just close my eyes and I just say, Jesus, I love you this morning. I worship you and I bless you. And I start looking and I say, Jesus, throw up the sun this morning. And he throws up the sun and I go, ah. And then he catches it and I say, do it again. And he does it again the next day. We are to be filled with the mystery and awe of the simplest things in life. One day you think I'm crazy doing this. Y'all still already think I'm crazy, don't you? Huh? So I'm, I'm already there, so go ahead. Watch this. You think I'm crazy, but I'm trying to get a point across to you. If I just get this one point, it would mean everything to me. You think I'm crazy, but sometimes I'll be reading the Word. Maybe I'm just struggling a little bit with like the sense of God's presence. You know, just things aren't as fresh and vibrant. I'll put, that, I'll put all that down. And I've done this. I've gone out into the backyard. I actually did this one day. And I got down in the dirt. And I pull, started pulling back the grass. And I said, Lord, I said, I want to see your creation. The parts of it I haven't seen for a long time. And I started pulling back, tearing back the, the grass. And when I did, I saw all this dirt. And there was this whole world that came alive down there. There was all these worms and bugs and spiders and 
Insects everywhere. They were running all fast all over the place. I don't know where they were going. They were, maybe they're going to work. I don't know. Maybe taking the kids to soccer practice. It's like they were, they were just running everywhere. But I thought, Lord. And literally, I stood there and began to weep over a world of bugs and insects and worms. And I thought, Lord, here we step over every day a whole world that you created. If you live like a child, you live with this sense that everything has wonder and mystery in it. Everything is beautiful. If you've grown up and become adult, then you have to be impressed. It takes a lot to impress you. And you become jaded and cynical. So I say to people, don't ruin this thing. Don't ever grow up. Look at the person next to you. Say, don't, grow, don't ever grow up. I want to wrap this up today by, I want to wrap this up today by just telling you a little story. You know, when we experience pain and, you know, we go through something, if it's deep enough, then there's something that happens to us where that we tell ourselves that, you know, the best of my life is over, that how could there be anything beyond this. And certainly, how in the world could God ever use any of this and not waste it? We know the passage that is, everybody knows, Romans eight twenty eight that God does work all things according to his, God works all things together for good and according to his purpose for those, to those who love him. And walk according to his purpose. But you know something interesting happened. You know my, my mom. Is who's still alive. My, my, my dad died. And back in 2000. And so for a handful of years after that. My mom. She felt like. I mean she was always telling us kids. You know, she said you know look. Pray that I'll go on to be with Jesus. He said my, my life's over. She said I, you know just. You know, she said, I want to go. I want to go. I have nothing left, you know, here. I just want to go. And she kept saying that over and over and over again. She felt like, you know, when my dad died, that was it. Just there was no more tomorrow. And so anyway, there's this other couple that had been my mom and dad's best friend for 50 years. They went on vacations together. They, they traveled everywhere together, the best of friends. And they were close to even us as the kids. And so then his wife dies one day. And when his wife died, my wife goes to have a cup of coffee with him to console him. And when she does, they fall in love. And so anyway, the way I find out is that he comes to me one day and he comes and sits down, he has to talk with me. And so he sits down and he says to me, he starts crying. His old man starts crying. He says, Rick, I, I, I didn't mean it to happen. I don't know how it happened, but I've fallen in love with your mom, and I want to marry her. First of all, I thought, something's really wrong with this picture here. 
it's weird. And uh, I th first thought, I thought, dude, do you know she's 80 years old? <laughs> I mean, does that even work, you know? I mean, I, it's like, it's like, nah, come on, listen. listen. I, th I mean, it was just weird, let's put it that way. I thought, God, she's 80 years old, what do you, come on. And he said, I want to marry her, so anyway, I said, okay, and so they got married. They wanted to get married quick, you know, and <laughs> she was pregnant, you know. She was, <laughs> no, 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 y'all said, that would be worth telling, though. That would be worth telling. She, <laughs> she was, she, no, she wasn't pregnant. She wanted to get married quick, obviously because they thought we don't have much time. And do you know what? For the last six years, she's now 86 years old. They've been having a time in their life. She said, these are some of the best years of my life. They've been traveling the world together and they've been ministering, doing so many different things. And she said this to me. She said, Rick, she said, when I was going through that dark season, she says, I could not imagine that God ever had a life for me that, that was as beautiful as what I had before, and in some ways even more beautiful. And she said, I learned something from that, that you don't ever, ever lose that sense of hope and faith inside of you when you're going through about it. Y'all with me today, huh? Come on, give the Lord some praise. Give the Lord some praise. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.